right. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of IEA's Hour Podcast. This is your co-host, Kevin Dagger, and current president of IEA. And I have with me my other co-host, Quinn. What's up, guys? Quinn here. Current five students. Proper for what we're going for today. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so on today's episode, we're going to discuss everything there is to know about Term 5. And to do so, I brought with us some special guests. Alex, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, guys? My name is Alex. Um, I just finished Term 5, and now I'm out here in California getting ready to uh, prep for set. How's it going, guys? I'm Luke. I also just finished Term 5. I'm back here in Connecticut. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully we can provide some good advice here to get you guys ready for term five a beast of a term what's up my name is ralph um i just finished term five i'm in texas uh i'm hard chilling right now uh till the end of the month and i'm studying for step so yeah hey everyone my name is carl i'm also here in texas um and after term five i'm having a hard time getting motivated for step but I think we all got in, so. Thanks, welcome, welcome everybody. So I'm really excited for this episode. I just finished term four and, you know, I always heard that term four was gonna be the beast of the term for all of SGU. But in all actuality, I'm starting to realize that it's term five and it's just that term five has its own peculiarities and its own approach on how you study and how you find yourself and especially preparing for step. So I'm really excited for this episode. So thank you guys all for coming on. And hopefully we have a great discussion. So I guess I want to start us off with asking the one question that I'm assuming everybody will be curious about. So term four, we obviously went through certain blocks or certain modules that had systems and we're not done learning the system. So I know term five starts off with, and I don't really know the full abbreviation, but MNI or MINI. And then after that block, you kind of delve into uh, a massive review to prepare for step or at least get you ready for step. Um, so can you guys just tell me a little bit about what MNI even is? What, what systems we're covering in MNI? So to my understanding, MNI was musculoskeletal, and then it was neuro, and then it was infectious diseases. So it was like yeah. anything from like bone muscle or like skin diseases, and then any like neuro conditions that we learned about. And then you have like all the infections, which is where like the, the antibiotics come in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of random things in there, especially at the end. Did they give us the tuberculosis drugs or no? That was term four, I want to say. There were a lot of random lectures, it felt like, towards the end of MI that kind of just scattered your brain a little bit. Yeah, the systemic infections was a mess. Yeah, Yeah. that's tough. All all the symptoms are kind of the same. What everybody hears about, I'm assuming in term four, you've had a friend or somebody say in term five, like, oh, there's 400 antibiotics that you're going to learn, at least with the drugs that they give you. There's a lot, at least with the drugs that they give you. Um, the neuropathologies are all things like hydrocephalus, uh, epidural hematoma, all things that you have seen before. So mm-hmm. even though the module itself could be a little hard, there is that easy aspect of the neuropath that you have been exposed to and envy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it made it, it made the learning the drugs a little bit easier because you had that not extra time, but some time to spend more um, of your resources on that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the, that's the one thing that drove me a bit crazy in uh term four 
is that when we learn the path or we learn the micro for certain, like we learn diseases that certain bugs cause, we never really covered the treatment for it. And like, I guess now in MNI, when they teach you all the antibiotics, you're making the connections of which drug you would use to fix, or I guess to treat um, a certain disease or illness, then you guys just have to go back to your notes and say, okay, well, for this bug, we use this antibiotic. For this disease, we use this antibiotic. So there is, I guess, some type of overlap, but it requires a particular student to have to go back to their old lecture material and say, okay, these are the, the drugs we use for these. I mean, I kind of wish that everything was kind of coherent where they teach you a bug and what disease it causes. And by the way, here's a treatment we use for it. But it sounds almost like FTCM all over again, where uh, Dr. Dasso just comes at you and just gives you all these drugs. And you're just like, okay, whoa, like these are drugs that for diseases that I haven't even learned about yet. A so is it the it same? Was, a lot of it was knowing the prophylaxis and like the, if they have like a infection, you're not really going to know like the specific yeah. bacteria. So you're going to be treating like generally. Yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah. Kind of as you go through it, you realize how they ask the questions is more understanding mm -hmm. rather than just memorizing this drug for this disease. Because I think it's a lot more subjective than you can test on. You know, for each disease or each infection, you know, doctors have, you know, one doctor might say this is a drug of choice. Another doctor might say this is a drug of choice. Mm -hmm. So the way you study, I think, should be very peculiar to how they could ask a definitive, um, you know, definitive drug of choice. Yeah. You know, like uh, the prophylaxis, the, uh, those, the... Uh, what is it? The first line, not not prophylaxis. I, I can't remember the specific adverse, word. Yeah. The adverse effects of yeah, second line drugs. Oh, yeah. And then, like I was saying before, I think a lot of it is just understanding. So for like a severe infection, you would oh, want the to mechanism of action too. Yeah, yeah. And then if it's like you know a more minor infection, you're not going to give this crazy drug that has all these adverse effects. You know, you're just going to give a penicillin G or something. Mm-hmm. Penicillin G is the one it's, that's IM, right? I can tell yeah. you. Yeah, it is. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, the one, in, is that's the one in the butt. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, that's, that's, the thing with, that's the thing with the antibiotics. And, like, I'm a little neurotic. Like, um, when I was done with turn four, I remember going to Container Park um, and, like, just, you know, just having a drink with a few people. And they were like, oh, man, I'm so excited to finally finish. What about you? I'm like, oh, dude, I'm looking forward to turn five. Because, I don't know, like, like, of course I want to break and I need, I need to rest, but like, I also, like, I've been an athlete my whole life and I always approach everything from like an athlete's perspective where like, if you're telling me that term five, the beast of term five in the very beginning is antibiotics, the athlete in me is going, okay, I need to prepare for the antibiotics. Like, what do I got to do to get ready for the antibiotics? Like I prepare a game plan in my head. I think it's so for the antibiotics. I don't think it's as bad as what like you're thinking though. It's, it's, I don't think, well, not that I think that it's bad, but more yeah. so like, I remember, I remember in term four going to like Upper Taylor to study and just watching kids freak out over a whiteboard, like do not erase this whiteboard. I got all the antibiotics written on it. And then I would walk over and look at all the drugs and be like, Jesus, this kind of looks like FTCM, but it's antibiotics. Like what's, what's so bad about it? Like yeah. there's some lot of like people. specifics that you need to know. And then a lot of the drugs are kind of just extra, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Like ceftriaxone, miracle drug. If you don't know, <laughs> ceftriaxone. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're going to yeah. have just, I mean, there are a lot of drugs and it's because they're in groups, right? So you have your penicillins, you have your carbapenems, you have your other ones, you have your cephalosporins. And so all of these have multiple drugs in them. So that takes up a lot of the 400 drug category or whatever you've been hearing. Um, so within that, right, you have your five generations of your cephalosporins. You knowing which generation to use um, and highlighting that one drug out of, say, five for that generation and knowing when to use it, it makes everything a lot easier because SGU is not going to, I mean, they might ask you, but they're not going to ask you um, this drug that they barely touched on. You know, it's going to be the ones that they put emphasis on in class. It's going to be the ones that have the most um, effective benefits, um, you know, less adverse effects, stuff like that. I think okay. so to keep it realistic yeah. is that term four and term five, this first module mirrors each other perfectly. So wherever you went in term four and how you studied, you can just pick right back up again and yeah. you're pretty much golden for that first module. So like mm -hmm. every, every um, term four module, I felt like had their own little highlight. Like maybe the micro was the biggest focus or maybe the path was the biggest focus or farm, but definitely for MNI. Um, I felt like the farm was where they highlighted. That's where they kind of built around their modules. You know, when they tried to tie in micro, they always tried to teach you what drugs you gave for it. So if you had a term four method, just do the same thing, copy and paste for the first module. It even looks like the slides are the same. So uh, you shouldn't really skip a beat when you start up in term five. So the first block really is just an extension of term four. Yeah. yeah. I think you can divide term four up between M and I and then the actual cumulative sections. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, um, so what, what advice would you give to students who, um, like, okay. So I guess like I've had, I've spoken to a lot of students about how they study and their approach and like what, what they've been doing, like what external resource to use for the path or for the micro like I have a friend who, um, you know, she, she really loves using Sketchy and I've seen her gain a lot of success through Sketchy for micro. So she, she figured out her own niche on how to, on how to work through the, the blocks. But for someone, I guess, let's say who just, just passed term four, um, what would you say to them who are about to term, who are about to start term five and how to approach this block? Like, is there anything specific about MNI that you would say, for example, for me, C, uh, CRS, uh, if anybody would ask me like, Hey, Kev, what did you think about CRS? I'd be like, uh, just make sure you know the farm pretty well, because that was pretty high yield on the exam. So what would you guys have to say about M and I? Like, like I'm a little, like, I love neuro. I have a, a master's degree in neuroscience. So like, I'm looking forward to the neuro aspect of it, but like, what is, is like the pathology of neuro kind of heavy is the micro heavy. Like what would, what would be that one thing that students should prepare for coming into term five? I remember so, the infections pretty well. Like, I remember being like, oh, this is more infections and micro than I was ready yeah. for. And I think what really got it was those multi-system lectures. Mm, uh, yeah. They give you a lot more micro than you thought was even, even capable in a neuro unit. And a lot of it came from, like, the meningitis stuff. It came from, like, uh, all those bugs you can get when you travel the world. They give it all, yeah. you know, during that first block. So, look at yeah. it. You got the micro. One one thing I realized that they did a lot too is like they tied in like the micro with the pharmacology, meaning that they would like tell you like, oh, this person is presenting with 
a bacterial meningitis infection. And then they'll be like, so not only do you have to diagnose that, but then you also have to figure out what the best like treatment is for it. And if they're talking, not talking about the actual treatment for the meningitis, then they'll be talking about the prophylaxis for it. Or if they're not talking about that, then they'll tell you that they gave them a certain treatment. And then you have to figure out what adverse effect you're supposed to expect from it. It's like, you can branch off so many different questions just from like those two things, you know, and they'll mix or, and match a bunch of stuff like that. Wait, was pregnancy in this one too? Pregnancy. And then everybody yeah, apparently yeah. was allergic to penicillin. So you have to know the second, you have to know yeah. the second line drugs. So, yeah. Yeah. And the antibiotics definitely make sure to know what you can give to uh, pregnant people. And then yeah. make sure for like every disease, you have an idea of what you're going to give if they're allergic to penicillin. Because as was just said, every single vignette, the person is going to be allergic to penicillin. But just on the uh, one more thing on the antibiotics. So I remember going through that exam and I came out thinking the antibiotics was very hard. I'm not sure if I just like didn't, you know, fully grasp them enough, but do you guys feel like they kind of went beyond the lecture slides on the antibiotics questions? I know it was a while uh, ago. Yeah, I did. I also did like a lot of practice questions on the antibiotics and I was just like, dude, like these are not things that I've ever seen. Like, yeah, you know, these questions aren't relatable to anything. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I think the information was definitely there. We just, I just wasn't able to like apply it to the degree that they wanted us to do it, you know? Yeah, very applied, very much more understanding than you initially think. You know, you get a whole bunch of drugs and you think, oh man, I just have, I have to memorize all these, you know, it'll take a while, but I'll be all right. But I really felt the antibiotics was beyond that, where you really had to understand when you were going to give a drug. Um, but I, a I lot of it was knowing, like, what kind of disease they had, too. Yeah, um, yeah, that's like you, if, had to, you had to recognize the disease, yeah. first of all. Yeah, like Pseudomonas was one of them, where they had some kind of ear infection. So you had to infer it's Pseudomonas, and then mm-hmm. you give an anti-Pseudomonal drug. Oh, well, I totally saw that coming, though, for the antibiotics. I mean, even now with, like, the pathology, whenever... Well, I think, like, um, and this, I get, of course, this is just super subjective, but when people would ask me for advice for pathology, I kind of had, like, a backbone to it where it's like, okay, pathology questions can't really come at you, like, super vague. Like, you, like the first step in the path questions is figuring out what disease they're even talking about. And then the question could just be, what's the pathoetiology of it, or what's a complication, or what's a risk factor? So for the antibiotics, like I started studying them uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I went through the penicillin ones, and in my head, I'm already thinking like, okay, if penicillin G and V are used for your gram-positive cocci, or for your your uh, uh, T pallidum, spirochytes, like I, I can already see in my head, SG is going to write a vignette where they're going to give you um, a patient with like a hemophilus infection and you have to be able to pick up on that it's a hemophilus infection and they're going to ask you like what's an adverse effect of the drug likely use and you have to be able to recognize like okay you're going to use amoxicillin or ampicillin here are the adverse effects but that's like dumb pushing you clinically as a as a, as, as a doctor like a patient's not going to walk into the hospital and say hey i have a hemophilus infection they're going to tell <laughs> you their symptoms and you have to be able to recognize hey this is a hemophilus infection i got to use this drug um yeah. and i think that's that's like the backbone that they've trained us at least or that i was able to pick up on or if sgu has certain expectations of students in term 4 that's something that i was able to pick up on really early on especially with the micro like they were very very vague with the micro vignettes and saying like oh patient comes in with these symptoms 
I can only imagine that the antibiotics or the treatment, at least, would just be an extension of those type of vignettes where clinically they're training you to be able to uh, pick up on all the little things and be able to recognize what it is. And then the third or fourth order question of that would just be, what's the drug that you would use or what's an adverse effect of that drug or what's a complication of that drug or what's a contraindication of that drug? So it's multi-layered and it's a lot of different steps. And like, I know it sounds crazy, but I love that aspect of of mm-hmm. SGU because it's just training you to think like a doctor now where like, again, the, the patient's not going to walk in and just flat out tell you in the face, I have a homophilus infection. You have to be able to figure out yourself. And yeah, you know this what? is the I way. Feel like that's oh, the one ahead. thing about term five that um, really comes to fruition quickly. You actually feel like you are in a clinical setting. So I actually um, want to segue that into a question that I have for you guys. Like, are you guys ready for clinicals? Like term five, that's your stepping stone into the, the real field. Do you feel like it was a good preparation? Did SGU um, do a good job with that? Uh, is there places we can improve on? But how do you guys feel about going into clinicals from this point on? Dude, it's so tough to know. You know, like, yeah, I feel like you won't know until you're there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure we all want to say we're prepared, but, you know, we're, you know, just like when we walked into term one of med school and we had no idea you know, what the tests were going to be like, how we were going to do. It's the same thing as that. Well, also, like, it, it didn't really prepare us for, like, the real, real world, you know. Like, patients are going to be, you're going to have some aggressive patients. You're going to have all sorts of kinds of patients, you know. Yeah. And then you're going to have to weed out. I mean, the hospital setting kind of helped, but there's some that's just not going to give you really a lot of details and stuff. And then others is going to give you too much. And yeah. Well, what do you mean? We had a beeline in term four where they gave us uh, four scenarios of complicated patients. I think that was more than enough preparation. I mean, the scenario that I had, the scenario that I had was a patient who came in and started rambling about her headache and how she wanted a CT scan. And every time I tried to ask her to explain more about her symptoms, she would just cut me off and just say she needed to leave the office. And I tried to tell her to stay, but she just walked out. So I thought that one scenario was more realistic for yeah. clinical settings that I needed to yeah. prepare <laughs> Yeah, no, like you had you're one. You had be one. Ready, man. You had one. <laughs> you're never gonna be ready, man. Yeah, dude, I thought exactly. you were serious for a second. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you, the, the thing is, like, I, I already I, know I, how to deal with it now. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm That's okay. my answer. I spoke to the I spoke to the facilitator at that beeline. I was like, hey, um, because like we had those four scenarios, and each scenario was supposed to be, be a complicated patient who was gonna give you a hard time, and I kind of already knew in the back of my head, like. Now, all right. It's a little biased. I've been in the hospital for like about four years. I've, I've worked in the ER in Jersey for four years. So I kind of seen a lot, um, obviously from a different perspective, but still I've seen a lot. So when I went into that beeline, I'm like, I know exactly what they're doing here. They're training us for complicated patients who are going to give us a hard time. But though mm-hmm. the facilitator, the facilitator throughout each scenario was just drilling us on like the symptomology and the ideology of the case. In my head, I'm like, I don't think that's the purpose of this beeline. So when the when all scenarios are over, I looked over the facilitator and I was like, hey, with all due respect, can we, like, if I go into a clinical rotation and I get a patient like this, like all four of these patients literally stormed out on us. Not one of them gave us a chance for an opportunity to try and uh, like mediate the situation where I can say, okay, I know you're upset and you're anxious, but can you at least have a seat so I can check your blood pressure and we can discuss this? No, they just got up and walked out of the room. So I'm like, okay. And then everybody's laughing. Like, yeah, it's all funny and it's all like whatever. But like, I took the seriousness in it and I was like, hey, like every single one of these patients walked out on us. 
the last thing I would want is to be in a clinical rotation and tell the attending or the resident, Hey, I'm going to go see patient in bed one. And then I come back and tell the attending and the resident, like, Hey, the patient in bed one just walked out on me. They were really upset. Like, dude, I did not do my job. I failed as a medical student. I let a patient just walk out. I'll get chewed up. I'll get chewed up or even worse. I'll get blacklisted in that hospital. Like, oh, that's that bed student that lets patients walk out of the room. So I went over to the facilitator and I'm like, I think the purpose of this beeline is to train us so that when we're in those clinical rotations and we get a complicated patient, like how do we prevent them from leaving the hospital? How do we prevent them from having these episodes? Like how can I help them sit down and relax and just kind of like help me help them, you know, and not storm out of the room. And the facilitator didn't really know what kind of, what kind of advice to give other than just say, you're going to have to call security. I'm like, okay, <laughs> call security. Like, okay, okay, fine. I'll just call security. But I, I don't know. Like, that's the one thing that I guess I would be worried about as a, as a student, like going into clinicals, at least like, don't, 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 don't walk out on me, you know? Cause I would hate to go to the attending until the attending, like, yeah, this patient just walked out. What do you mean they walked out? I don't know. They just got up and walked out of the room. They're here for chest pain. What are they going to have a heart attack? Well, I'm sorry. They just didn't let me talk. They walked out. And I had one beeline on it where the facilitator just focused on the symptomology and didn't actually give me advice on how to keep a patient in the room. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you think I think one of them, but in term five, they give you like beelines where the patient starts coding on you and, and they give you. Oh, <laughs> I knew how to do that. You guys and remember that one? Just like, yeah. <laughs> I was chilling. I'm like, yo, this is what you got to do, guys. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm an EMS person here. This is what you got. Yeah. Same. But what I was going to say um, to what you're talking about, Kevin, is that, you know, like, although there is a possibility that all these things are going to happen, like, we're just going to have to, like, go for it and, like, you know, not be afraid to fail. Because, like, on top of, like, the fact that we're coming from, like, an IMG school, like, we've also been going to the hostels. And I don't think a lot of other, like, U.S. schools do that stuff. So it kind of puts us at, like, an advantage to, like, be like, oh, we've already been here before. We already know what, like, this is like, kind of, like, obviously it's, like, a different level because we're now in, like, the first world versus, like, the third world. But I think overall, you know, we're going to have, like, a lot of, like, experience that we can take in there. And, like, we have to, like, use that to our advantage, you know? So the B lines in term five, I, I guess they're just a further extension of the B lines in term four. It's nothing, I guess, out of the ordinary. Yeah, There's extra stuff to it. Yeah, like well, part of it is disclosing, like, oh, your patient has cancer, and you know you're gonna have to be. Yeah, that's true. Very empathetic, and there's what? What was the acronym for that one again? Spikes. Nurse. Spikes. Yeah. Oh, spikes. Oh, the cancer one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was nurse. I thought you had to nurse the patient. No, you had to well, do it, spike for for you cancer. Do all of it. What is? Yeah. Whenever you're like emergency. Is that right? Huh? What is nurse for emergency? No, nurse, nurse is when you want to show compassion. Yeah. Spikes is like what you do when you're like about to break the news to someone. Like, I, like I oh, think spike is when yeah, yeah spike never... is when they're not gonna make it or something. I've never. I always use nurse acronyms. I yeah, use the I nurse know. one for for empathy because in the beginning I was never getting yeah. my empathy points, and yeah, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna start nursing. Doctor Kevin, huh? <laughs> I, I said I'm shocked that you didn't get your empathy points. Yeah. You know, you're <laughs> no, 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 because <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I never got my no. In the beginning, I never got my empathy points just because. Uh, I guess like. Like, dude, I worked in a, I worked in a emergency department, and I guess it made me just be a little bit more efficient and like yeah. like asking yeah. the patient asking the patient questions 
that were just like umbrella questions that would capture all the information that I would need. Yeah. So in the very beginning, like when the patient be like, yeah, doc, I just didn't, I didn't go to work for five days. I'd be like, oh, what do you do for work? X, Y, and Z. Okay. And then I'll just move on. And they would never give my empathy points. I'm like, all right, I just come, I'm going to start nursing them. Just be like, okay, you, oh, you miss work for five days. That must be so hard. I understand that it's challenging to have to miss work, but it's okay. I'm here to support you. And I understand these emotions can be difficult. Please help me help you. And just for that, I will get my empathy points. But realistically I speaking, hate it, dude. it's, I it's hate not, it. it's no, not no so No matter natural. what I do, it is so fake. I, no matter what I do, I still get killed on Oski. So I, I, I accept it. I, I don't care. <laughs> That's yeah. why that's why I try so hard in the uh, module exams because my oh, yeah. points are terrible. Yeah, yeah my OSCEs <laughs> are always abysmal. Yeah, I wish yeah. that they released the averages of the OSCEs. I bet they're pretty low. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, like 70 to 70. My favorite was the OSCE, OSCE right after exam. That was that was great. Oh, that was amazing. Oh yeah. Best you for that one, yeah. <laughs> that was that was phenomenal. <laughs> 8 a.m. the day after. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I think only Luke saw, Dude, it, saw what happened to me. <laughs> oh, I was there. Alex, I felt oh, so I bad there. for you. You showed up at, like, literally two, five minutes late. <laughs> I know, like... The, dude, and the I lady should've... was giving you a hard time too. Yeah, dude, I should have two <laughs> oh, minutes yeah. late. She gave me a hard time. She was like, "I don't think we're going to be able to let you in." And you know, I was able to kind of talk my way through it. I'm sitting down. You know, I'm like flustered because she was threatening to not let me in. And then Alex walks in <laughs> after that, <laughs> and she was so mad at Alex because his group already went downstairs. Yeah, dude, that was a whole mess. <laughs> he had to have a private person. He had to have a person to escort him down the stairs. She was like, "And this is exactly why we have a time limit. This is why you have to get here 45 minutes before because of people like you." Oh my gosh! She lit him up. <laughs> I was so sitting there like, "Oh my god, dude!" I was my so out of it. I was like, "To us as people, huh? my thing is like for my Oski for during my Oski, like I got a little snippy with the facilitators because they were like, "All right, so we're gonna have these people go downstairs." And my head, I'm like, "Dude, we're not people. We're students. Like, bro, just we're, we're referred to we're, us as students, bro. We're we're just." Person one, two, and three, you know, the, we're just numbers. We're, we're A numbers. That's it. <laughs> Very true. So we, we're getting to get into the link or something? Yeah. So the, uh, all right. So the B lines, I guess, they actually do sound like there's just an extension to term four, from term four, at least. But, um, all right. So during M&I, the first thing I noticed, they, we just got the schedule for term five, is that our lectures are now at 1 p.m. and Coincidentally, they're in Charter Hall. I guess they just want us closer to the exit. Like, all right, you guys are leaving <laughs> campus soon, so just get, get out of here. Um, but how, how was the schedule in MNI with the B lines? Like, um, I know now we have small group at 8 a.m. in the morning. Um, but how, like, is the intensity of the schedule the same in term four, where it's like, oh gosh, I got five small groups this week. When do I study? You know? Yeah, Alex. it's pretty much the same when it comes to something like that. Um, yeah, Carl, Carl and I used to work out at the same exact time. So it was nice. But what we would do is like, I would like basically chill out in the morning and like not try to go too crazy. And then I would like just prep for the, whatever small group I have, whether it's B-liners, like the actual, like histo small groups. And then after that, I would go and work out and then I would take a little break, like go and shower have some lunch. And then I would do, I would study for two hours and then I would go to lecture and then I'd study the rest of the day after the lectures. 
So I, I felt like that was a pretty good schedule where I can just like constantly like have a routine. But finding that routine initially was by far the hardest thing when it came to term five, just because it was like my my lectures were in the middle of the day, you know, it was like three thirty to five thirty, and I was like so tired afterwards. So, yeah, yeah, no, and I mean that's one thing I noticed is that like right in M and I, you're starting term five, even though it's only four months long. That first module M and I seems so busy, and it's just like every day you're having to do something in the morning. Um, so definitely, if I'm going to give any advice to the term fours that are now coming to term five is it is going to be busy. So pace yourself and find the time that you can um, do not get bogged down. Uh, if you enjoy working out, then go find time in your schedule to work out. Um, like Alex said, we had our morning um, classes. So whether it was beeline or anything else, quick workout. And then I tried to get some studying in before class and then just pick up after lecture on whatever I left off on. Um, but definitely try to just find you know, whatever your comfort is to make you feel less stressed. Uh, do that. So, yeah, that's the then, one thing, too, I'm also looking forward to with term five. Scheduling is going to be a little bit better. Um, like I, I don't I don't mind the 8 a.m. lectures, but I always felt like I'm starting my day super early. But now it sounds like I can wake up, go to small group, hit a workout, shower, eat, drink a coffee, study for a little bit, go to class. And then after class, just get locked in for review for the rest of the day. So it does sound a little, little more manageable. Yeah, yeah. no, that's and, definitely the way to go. And for myself, and I'm sure you guys are the same way too. Like, I hate having to like take time out of like my study, like, period you know like so i didn't try to go like too too crazy in between the small group and the lecture because i knew that it was going to get cut off within two hours anyways so i just do like my my busy work like if i needed to watch any sketchy videos i'd watch it during that time any pathology videos i'd do it then um if there was like anything that i could just like kind of work on really quickly that's when i would do it and then my like really really deep focused study times i would save for the end of the day and i would like you know try to do things like like I would like try to take like a little break after lecture or like eat some food really quickly. That way I know that like when I'm going into this like really heavy block that I'm about to do for studying, I was like ready to go. Because if you're tired and you're trying to study for four hours straight, you're not going to get anything done. So it's like I had to know my body and like be like, okay, this is like what I need to do in order to get myself into that mental state where I can like lock in, you know? Alex, it sounds Maybe. like you and I had the exact same schedule. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw you every time. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Maybe that was a factor in term four. Now, now that you guys mentioned that, I'm, it's, I'm, like, I'm having like a bit of a realization of, you know what, you guys are absolutely right. Like in term four, we had our 8 a.m. lectures. And then, um, I mean, I'll be honest, like, <clears throat> excuse me, halfway through the term, I would just start like doing flashcards or practice questions during the lecture because I just needed, I needed at least two hours of uninterrupted studying. You know, and like I would do flashcards. My friend will watch her her sketchy videos and do her flashcards during the lecture. So at least those two hours were just like two hours of uninterrupted studying. But then after lecture, you need coffee, you need breakfast, or you need lunch, or you need to go work out. And then you you get like what two and a half hours. But I would probably just do a little bit more flashcards. She would watch a little bit more sketchy videos, and then would go to small group. And then after small group, it's already what like two p.m. And then we have to eat lunch or go work out and then next thing you know it's already like 5 p.m and you're just tired and now you got to do mm -hmm. what now you got to post read lectures and you got to study like maybe that's what made term four 
challenging for students. And it's maybe it wasn't the material or the volume of the material, but maybe just time management and how you scheduled yourself in term four. Cause it was just, it was a lot of, un, it was a lot of interrupted uh, studying. Like I was, mm-hmm. I would get locked in for like an hour or two. Oh shoot. I got small group or I have this now, or I have to go do that now, or I have to study for this. It's like, dude, I just want to be able to sit down and study. Don't interrupt yeah. me. And like in term mm-hmm. four, the culture became like everybody, like at least for me during MS1, Saturday and Sunday, I didn't do shit. I did not study. Like I was done with everything I needed to do by Friday evening so that I can give myself Saturday and Sunday completely off. Wow. Now, and yeah. That's and, well, yeah. I can imagine that. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, just time management, you know, like, of course there was stuff that I could have done on the weekends, but I needed that. I needed those two days of just R and R, you know, like, of course my Monday through Friday looked really crazy. I, I, I treated it like a job where I was working overtime but I went super hard Monday through Friday because I had the time. I didn't have anything that was interrupting my time. Like I wake up in the morning, I'd watch the, the lecture recordings. Um, I'd go to small group and then I just sit on my computer and just study all day. Um, mm-hmm. But now, in, now in term four, that, that, that quickly flipped. It was like, okay, I'm looking forward to the weekends. So that on the weekends I can study because on the, the yeah. weekends, man, yeah. the weekends met now Saturday morning, I can wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and, and, and go to campus and get locked in on a cubicle or get locked in on a table and I would just look forward to be able to study all day with zero interruptions, no lecture, yeah. no small group, no nothing. But in term five, it sounds like managing your time seems a little bit more feasible just because now you can get your morning, you get your morning back for the morning birds like me. Um, and then you, you go to lecture, but then after lecture, what you're done by like 2 3 PM, but after 3 PM, you're done. There's no small group. There's nothing. Right. It's a little complicated, you know, because we had the two cohorts. So you either had 8 a.m. small group and 1 p.m. lecture or you had 10 a.m. small group and 3 p.m. lecture. So your days are very different based off what cohort you're in. Yeah. The bane of my existence was those BD lectures that didn't end until like what close to six. Yeah, I would not like that. Getting out and then seeing it's dark, I feel like that would just kind of demoralize me a little bit. So luckily, I was AC. You know, we we got out at three p.m., so the sun was still out. You kind of still just mentally felt like you had a day to study, which I liked a lot more. Even though it obviously sucked getting up, you know, at seven something for eight a.m. small group. I mean, I didn't start studying till after our lecture, and then <laughs> yeah. And then to be I'd like stay completely realistic, I agree with Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I then I'd go work out at like, you know, 8 30, 9, and that, that was my day. I used to love so. watching you walk across the Belford, bro, with your <laughs> with your with your pump. I'm like, this guy just worked out. I'm so jealous. <laughs> bro, I love turn yeah. five. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was great. Yeah. And I, and I just looked forward to playing football with Alex too. That was that was fun. Dude, that was such a blast, bro. I wish I could do that again. Oh, for sure. I still don't know if I'm going to play football again next term, but we'll see. I don't, I'm not trying to get injured again. Dude, yeah, I don't care wild. about flag football injuries. <laughs> it just gets a little too intense, man. You put you put all like the athletic kids. I mean, I dislocated my shoulder playing, so there yeah. it is. It's ruthless <laughs> in those trenches. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. coming out with grapes guaranteed. Grapes, bruises. oh, for sure. Yeah, it just comes with the territory. Yeah. Who would have thought a bunch of med students would take flag football so seriously? <laughs> right? Right? And, like, for me, it was also, like, the mental game, bro. Like, when I got hurt, 
I was like, oh man, like my team needed me that day. <laughs> forget <laughs> my tooth. Back. Yeah, for, forget that my mouth is broken and I'm like bleeding like crazy. I was in my head, I'm like, oh dude, like I feel so bad. Like I should be out there right now. Forget my injury. I need to be out there with my friends playing. <laughs> and like my one, friend, my, my one friend who helped me, who helped me to go to the hospital. Uh, she was like, "Yeah, you're definitely not playing football anymore." And I'm like, "No, I I, I got to go out there. Like my my, my boys about? need me. Yeah, yeah, my boys. Well, we're need going me. to the hospital. I'm coming right back for the second half. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my, friend, my friends are like, "You're not playing football anymore, dude. You're done." I'm like, "Yo, dude, I will. I like my. They're, they're, we're in the playoffs. They like they need me. I have to go out there. Yeah, but your mouth is broken. I don't care. You need that bruise gift card, you know. <laughs> there, it's all for that bruise voucher, right? <laughs> Seriously." I think one so, thing that this really brought up and is a good uh, point on all this is term five, a lot of us step into leadership roles, a lot of us step into um, more research opportunities, a lot of us take on extracurriculars that really complicate the schedule more than just school. You know, as term fives, we're seen as um, the seniors on the island. So a lot of times we're going to be in, in avenues that take us uh, away from studying. Like I love, I love IA to the core, right? That's why we're here. But when you step into an upper leadership position, you have to sacrifice. You know, maybe you can't study for cumulative as often as you can because you have an obligation somewhere else. So that's something about term five that I think a lot of people overlook, but it's such a big factor in your your ability to, to study the way you want to. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm going to kind of disagree with, I think, where the conversation was before. I think it's a lot more, I think, you know, devoting time for studying is you know, less feasible in term five. I think you have all these leadership roles. You have lecture in the afternoon every single day that you pretty much have to go to. You know, in term four, you had your small groups at 1 p.m. And obviously you had small group pretty much every day, but you had, you know, those one or two days a week where after lecture, you could just sit down and study and know that you had nothing left to do after 10 a.m., but because you have the lectures in the afternoon, term five, you don't really have that chance. You have that interruption every single day. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And some students don't get lucky because I remember like in term four, my schedule always aligned where like I would get that one day a week where all I had was lecture. No MCQ at 6 p.m., no small group. But not a lot of students had that type of schedule. Some students would either have an MCQ or a small group. They never got to experience what having one day out of the week of just having straight up lecture and nothing else for the rest of the day. And I would feel bad, you know, like, oh, like, do you have an MCQ tonight? Like, no, nah, dude, I'm off. Like, I have lecture and that's it. I'm done. We, like, we also had days off, though, too, where it was just an IMCQ for the, for the day. Oh, that would be like before the yeah. exam, like right before exams. And no, like there's that. like there's like three days. Yeah, Ralph was right. We did have a few like after each, you know, block when we were doing the uh, cumulative pathophys, you know, after cardio, you would have your cardio IMCQ day. And then after respiratory, you'd have the respiratory IMCQ mm -hmm. day. Yeah. yeah. You guys, point, and say, do you guys want to switch into talking about the other modules? Um, yeah. After MNI? Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, now, like the time management for like, now this is the part that I'm really excited about. And like, so after MNI, you start those review blocks, which I have no idea what they even are about, but in my head, at least I'm thinking, so they give you what you go into a four system review 
yeah. like guys just blow my mind away what's what's what are we doing here like what what are, what are these system exams a majority so wanna, of it is kind of review but i mean they yeah. add some new stuff here and there like the cardio a lot of that i think was new yeah the cardio especially felt very new overall i feel like it was less you know new material just more taking things to the next level you know we've already learned the pathology we already kind of like know you know how the diagnoses present in a patient you know what they're going to complain of but term five i think is really about the lab values and how you're clinically going to diagnose someone based off the labs so it's taking the pathology of the disease and then applying that to how you know physicians can clinically definitively recognize it Uh do they give you normal lab values yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really annoying on like you rolled an RX. A lot of the times they don't, and you have to look them up. And most of the time, I don't look them up, and then it really gets me mad when I get the question wrong because I didn't. Off of something simple, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My suggestion um, to that is that first aid, like in one of the first few pages, has the lab values in there, and it's so much easier to just find it on like the little pages here rather than using like, the little <laughs> like extension that. Um, US Assembly RX or U World has. Yeah. Because then you just have to sift through all of them. You're like, oh, turns out this lab value's not even in here. Like, great. Like, we're wasting all this time trying to for it. <laughs> this is probably a stupid question, but um, do, like, now that you guys are like in hardcore step preparation, um, do they, like, are you going to get normal lab values on step or do they expect yeah. you to know the ranges? No, no, no. You're going to get the lab values. Because on top of like, lab values like kind of being like a standard they also vary within hospitals and stuff like that so there's no way they can imagine like make us like remember everything you know yeah yeah it's kind of relative you know do they give you the are they going to give you the lab values are they going to give you the lab values where it's like okay so patient's aop is 67 and then here's the reference range or are they going to tell you aop 67 and like an rx where you have to take out the table and be like okay where's my aop okay Right next to it. So, yeah, yeah, they put it in parentheses right there. If they don't oh, give you the normal value, if they don't give you the normal value and just say AOP is high, um, then or like a number that seems high, then you're looking for something that is like bone related or something that the AOP would be high. So they wouldn't ask you specifically based on a value, but of what's the pathology associated with this marker. So, mm. yeah. Okay. Don't get it twisted. There are times where um, I remember we got values and they didn't give us the normal. Like I remember seeing sometimes uh, glucose levels that were yeah. You didn't say oh that's high, but they won't say straight out. Like, here's the normal range. Here's HP one AC. Yeah, there are some that you're expecting yeah. to know. I'm very sure. Or within reason, I guess too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, so at this point, you know, you made it to term five. You should have a decent idea of what's a really high glucose. Yeah, I think anything above a six percent would be super high for hemoglobin A1C. I don't know. Like six five or yeah. Yeah. Six, five, right? yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There are those golden numbers that you would never forget. Yeah. What I enjoyed One. most about um term five are leaving M and I and going on to these review modules is you do get rx you do get past us you do get U world um and that really helped clean up a lot of the edges of things that i've learned up until term five because right you're given 
anatomy, you're getting physiology, you're getting pathologies, and now you're just expected to tie it all together. And so using these programs that the school gives us, um, the explanations really helped for me. Um, because the only thing that I used for term five was the programs, first aid and the lecture slides. Mm-hmm. I didn't use any outside resources. So having this three paragraph explanation of why the answer is heart failure really helped understand the concept. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it especially annoys me. So SGU, they still give their, you know, Sakai questions for each um, block or each, you know, system that you're doing but those explanations were terrible oh my god really dude. Can't get much off. Of and then obviously the imcqs don't even have any explanations yeah. i thought we didn't even get enough sakai honestly yeah, yeah i agree i agree i, I felt like, like the sakai were high yield though like I, they, they may not have really good explanations but it was definitely like on the exam you know yeah, it forced you to kind of go out of your way to figure out why some answers were right. Like, I remember yeah. some of those cardio questions kind of took me a little bit yeah. to piece everything together. But they'd only yeah. give you like 10 questions for a whole system and you're just like, what? Now what? Yeah. 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 I think so, my biggest wisdom that I wanted to pass on to a lot of people who asked me about Term 5, and this is where the outside resources were most handy, the amount of anatomy that we were tested on compared to how much is presented in our lectures, I feel like was very, dis- at least for me, was very disproportionate. Like the places where I was weakest, I felt like were the anatomy stuff because um, you go over that and you're one. And then uh, for a lot of us, it just leaves the brain, right? So those yes. more and beyonds, those RXs, um, world explanations, when they talk about anatomy, Slowly, as term five went on, I paid more and more attention because I started yeah. to realize that their yeah, that questions are, are pretty hefty, mm-hmm. and they're not. I, I wish I did that. Well. I agree. Yeah, and they they weren't super high yield, I would say, but consistently. I mean, what would you guys say? You know, the you kept seeing them five ish. Yeah. You know, there were multiple questions on them yeah. about anatomy. The only yeah. problem was a lot of it seemed to be cumulative random things that weren't always believed yeah. module that we Mom's were going anatomy with. piece yeah yeah, yeah. but no and, came back without a doubt a lot of uh the brachial plexus stuff oh yeah yeah and that's what i want to and that's what i want to elaborate on the most because um especially for us going into term five now i think one of the biggest questions that we had and i see it all the time in group chats is like oh we're getting all these q banks and q banks are now becoming the like hoarder of resources where like you know in the beginning of medical school we sit down and we find all these google drive accounts and we find all these resources and we just start hoarding and hoarding and hoarding and then you just don't know what to use because you're just like this is just so much and they all kind of have the same information so for me like in ms1 i always stuck to first aid because i just the mnemonics you know and then come term term four i discovered amboss and i discovered usmle rx so i started using usmle rx day one of term four, uh, mainly because of their descriptions of the pathology and the microbiology and the pharmacology, but it's more specifically for the path. And like one of my greatest successes in term four was, you know, the contribution came from RX and their pathology questions, because I would read a disease and like the biopsy of how it looks, the histo of how it looks. And Mm -hmm. I would always tell myself like, okay, I'm making flashcards for these diseases, but what does it look like? in a question. I had no idea. And I wasn't going to wait till the exam time. Like I saw the Sakai questions, but that wasn't enough. 
So on RX, what they would do is they would give you the vignette for path and they'll say, like in my head, I'm like, okay, this is this disease. What does it look like histologically? And then the way that they will word it as an option choice, I'm like, okay, so this is how it would present in a question. And that always gave me a leg up. And then I would look at the other option choices and each option choice will describe another disease. So right there in the question, I had five diseases that will that tell me what patho ideology it is for another, you know, like it's, it's just made it so much more efficient. And throughout all of term four, especially for path, like a lot, a lot of people were struggling with path. And I'm over here like, dude, use RX, use RX, like use the questions that they, that they have for pathology on there. Because like, I remember for Pagets disease in the lecture slides, they wrote a long paragraph describing what Pagets cells look like. And then on RX, they described it as cells with central clearing. So as soon mm-hmm. as I would see cells with central clearing, I'm like, those are Pagets cells. So that's Pagets disease. That's little, that's like, that's how it presents, you know? So I started training my brain on how to use uh, USMLE RX in term for specifically for pathology. And whenever we had MCQ sessions and the professors would be like, okay, so you guys got it correct. This is option B. What's option A? I was that dude in class that was a gunner. I'd be not a gunner. I shouldn't say gunner because I'm not a gunner. But um, in MC, like the professor would be like, all right, what's option A? I'd be like, that's hereditary spherocytosis. What's option C? That's hemochromocytosis. Like I was able to pick up so quick on what those option choices were because of RX. So like anybody who goes through term four should, I think, in my opinion, use USMLE RX for pathology and for microbiology because it's going to give them a much higher advantage. So now in term five, not, not you not being me and not knowing that, you're now a term four student that's going, oh, wow, they're giving us USMLE RX. We're getting UWorld. We're getting pass tests. After MNI, we're going into system review. You know, what, where, like, what are, by now you should know what your external resources are. Like, for my friend, it's sketchy. Like, she knows that that's going to be her thing. Like, sketchy is her thing. Like, she, she owes a lot of her success because of sketchy. For me, it's been AMBOSS. It's been first aid and USMLE RX. I'm not changing anything. I'm not adding mm-hmm. anything to it. That's going to be it. But now I'm getting UWorld and I'm getting past tests. I'm not going to touch past tests. If anything, I'm going to use UWorld come dedicated time. But now if you're a student who doesn't know what external resources they should lean on, what would you say to them? You know, like you're, you're starting these system reviews. They're saying, okay, here are all these lecture materials. Here's all these DLAs. We expect you to know literally everything. Like anybody who walks around and goes, what's going to be on the test? Like you're already setting off on the wrong foot. Just know everything. But yeah. now you're overwhelmed because you have all these Q banks. Like, from your experience, what would you tell the term four students moving on to term five, going into a review? Like, you know, take me through a day of how you study. Like, like, did you do first aid? Did you do boards and beyond? Did you do sketchy? Did you do the Q bank questions? Like, I think this is the part of term five that people really should be aware of. And like, that would be great advice to give to really help students out because that's the part that I'm looking forward to at least and how you guys manage your time and what external resources you guys use to really prepare yourselves for the SGU exams, of course, to pass term five, but in preparing you as well for step. So I might be the better one to answer this because these guys don't use outside resources, which boggles oh, my mind. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I would I, like I, to talk I discovered about first aid and, CP and CPRH, uh-huh. and it's a phenomenal resource. Absolutely. Yes. First aid is amazing. <laughs> What are you about to say, Luke? <laughs> Alex, you can go first. Talk about you. Okay. And then I'll explain <laughs> my point of view. 
this is like my favorite thing. All right. So what I would do like to study was like, I, I knew that I couldn't get through like a bunch of questions in a day. Like it just took too long for me to like beat all these explanations. So I would set a goal. I would do 20 questions, only 20 questions, nothing crazy. I'd do 20 questions a day on the weekdays. And then whatever questions I got wrong, I would go and watch these boards and beyond videos for it. And the reason why I like boards and beyonds the most is because like pathoma was great to like have a general understanding of what the pathophysiology was of each disease, but boards and beyonds goes into way more detail. And what I would do while watching that video is I would annotate my first aid book and I would just like write on there, like any additional information that first aid was missing. And this is like a tip that I got from Grace, this girl who made like the firehouse med prep schedule. And it was like probably the most beneficial thing to my learning. And then what I would do at the end of the week was I would just read through the pages that I wrote on, just make sure that I knew it all. But I felt like boards and beyonds was like the best in terms of like getting as much information as physically possible for each disease. And then I would do sketchy for anything that like was just straight up memorization or something that like I just couldn't get like my head around. Like all the micro was really helpful because otherwise you're just memorizing words, which I didn't think was cool. Um, the pharmacology was really good for sketchy. And if it came to diseases that were like super similar, but there was a lot of like stark differences, then I would also use sketchy for that too. So like, for example, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, like they present the same, like they have the same clinical things, but then when you talk about like, oh, like they have skip lesions versus non-skip lesions, oh, rectal like sparing versus non-rectal sparing, like those are all like differences that like can get easily confused and like cross between if you don't like have a good like way of like separating them in your mind, you know? And that's what I felt like sketchy, like really, really did well on when it came to patho. Okay. I want to like double down yeah. on the boards and beyond because the boards and beyond for me was a lifesaver. Uh, I kind of flirted with using it in the beginning terms because I've always heard about it. And just the way Dr. Ryan teaches those lectures, it's so clear, it's to the point, and he really knows like the information that you should take away from these high-yield sources. And I also want to think that um, as a base, a lot of our students were using Rx. And I think that's really smart because the first aid book is really like, you know, it's the book. It's the book first step one. It's everything you need to know is right there. And a lot of students neglect it. A lot of students hardly crack it open. A lot of students might um, only look at the things they need to see, but uh, truly going through it in depth and knowing it well, I think is the keys to success in term five and hopefully for step one. Otherwise, I need to change my study approach. But USMLE RX is, I think, a program where you can read the textbook, you can answer the questions, you can uh, watch their videos. It's really your one-stop shop. And it's where uh, I think a lot of your term five colleagues are going to really start and base their studying around is, is Rx. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to tell people now. And that I, who have, like my friends, at least in term four, is that like, I've seen people annotating first aid and like, I'll see them with like the hard copy and like highlighting it and stuff like that. But I don't know. To me, it seems very passive, you know, like having the hard copy and going through the pages. And like, if you're looking up staff aureus, you got to like go through the index and find where staff aureus is mentioned. And I don't know, I tend to, and this is just a personal opinion of mine, but I learn better when it's active learning. And what I mean by that is USMLE RX is literally probably one of the most affordable Q banks that's out there right now. And I don't think people recognize how powerful this QBank is. Like I remember in one of my group chats um, or one of our group chats in term four, someone had mentioned like, hey guys, I have a subscription for USMLE RX and they gave me a coupon code, here's 50% off. And like people are like, oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? And like, 
I did her job to explain what USMLE RX mm-hmm. is because I use it. Whereas I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not getting a benefit. I'm not benefiting from it because I'm getting a 50% off coupon code. Like I, I I'm actively using it. So I did her job and I explained what USMLE RX is to everybody. And I really emphasized how, like, you really want to know the first aid book, use RX because you can go through RX practice questions and they'll literally attach first aid images that correspond to that practice question. So now you're not sitting there passively highlighting notes. You're doing practice questions, stimulating your mind to see what you know, what you don't know. And if you don't know it, here's a first aid image that, that goes along with it. And now there's a mnemonic mm-hmm. to it. Beautiful. Now you're never going to forget. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I always thought RX was really powerful. I really like, like the explanations for RX. Um, what I would what I would do if like people like don't want to use like boards and beyonds or like they don't like just like watching videos and stuff like that is like have that first aid book open so that way when you're like doing these questions and you get the explanations all these like little details like that are missing from the first aid book you write in there because the first aid book is like very helpful but it's also very bare and you need to like get the extra additional information like if you were to just like have your first aid book open you could probably get maybe like 60% of the questions right on RX like but if you like there, but there's a lot more material that you need to know on top of that, you know, that just simply isn't in the book, but they'll tell you the explanations. What about Pathoma? So, is Pathoma still something people talk about in term five? I, I'm not gonna lie, I stopped using that. I used to love Pathoma back in term four, but like I said before, it was like really, like it was more of like a, to get a general understanding of what the pathology is. Um, but when it comes to like getting like the nitty gritty details, like you're gonna need to watch like the Boards and Beyonds videos. They're like 18 minutes long for like, like one disease, but dude, I promise you, like that information is so, so valuable and you need to know it. Like, at least that's how I felt about it. Like, so I'm then sure what people... would your, oh, go ahead. Sorry. so like, what would you say? All right. So this is my game plan or at least my approach for the systems in term five. And then you guys can just like, tell me if it's wrong or right, or something that like that's feasible. Um, so if we're, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're going to do systems, like let's say it's cardio, poem, Reno, um, like I would do Monday through Friday, I would separate my days based on systems. Like, so Monday will be my cardio day. Tuesday will be my Reno day. Wednesday will be my uh, pulmonary day. And of course we still have lectures. We have small groups and stuff, but like you're like, they're encouraging you to use these Q banks now and you're using external resources. You're trying to cover your bases where like, I don't care what's on the exam. I want to know everything. You know, because mm-hmm. now I'm getting ready for steps. So whatever you hit me with, I want to know it. And I'm not going to be that type of student that walks around and goes, was there, was, there, was there any anatomy on the exam? Was there any biochemistry on the exam? Was there any phys on the exam? Like, dude, I don't know. Just be prepared for anything. Be an athlete, you know? Yeah. Like, if you don't know, just be an athlete. Like, I don't know. Like, we're playing, we're playing this team. I know that they have this one really good kid, but I'm going to treat everybody as an equal. Like, everybody's probably really good. I don't know. Like, let's just go out there and play. Same thing with the exams. Like, for those system exams, like, I just want to know everything. Like, I don't care if it's anatomy heavy. I want to be prepared for anything and everything they, they, they're going to throw at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what I was planning on doing is waking up in the morning and doing, like, maybe an hour or two hours of, like, first aid where, like, I know it's passive, but, like, I can sit there and, like, just read. Like, okay, so today's my cardio day. I'm going to go to the cardio first aid section. And I'm just going to read through it, just like get stuff into my head and hopefully my brain can retain it and recall it. Um, and then do like, do maybe like an hour of board and beyond videos for cardio, just watch videos, make flashcards, do my flashcards for it, whatever, go to lecture after lecture, do questions. So like, I'll do like cardio, uh, RX questions. And like, I don't know, maybe I'll do like anatomy questions, physiology questions, path questions, and just see what I remember and what I don't know. And then make a note of what I can't recall. Like, oh shit, I forgot everything about the brachial plexus. 
let me make a list of brachial plexus and then watch okay. board and beyond videos for the brachial plexus to get it back into my head. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then just like do that for as long as I can, like do a bunch of practice questions, um, watch the board and beyond videos to the material that I don't recall. Um, like maybe use the lecture notes, maybe not use the lecture notes or just use the lecture notes use as lecture like guidance notes. of what I should know. All right. Use the lecture notes to see what I need to know and what, what I don't know. And then end the day with like doing flashcards for whatever I made for the day to kind of like recall it, you know? And that's the thing. Like, I love the freedom of being able to study at my own leisure of like, okay, we're doing cardio and you want me to know everything. What are my resources? I have the lecture material. I have RX, I have board and beyond and I have first day. You want me to know everything? I'm going to know everything. But then yeah. again, there's, there's, there's time management, you know? So yeah. like, what did, what did you guys do to manage your time? And like, what system worked for you that you thought was so, like, okay, you know, I got my good grades and now I'm getting ready for step. Like what prepared you for that? So I think the... methods are very similar. And the way that I really want to encourage you and everyone who has a similar method, there is a very special balance between the outside resources and the lecture notes. Uh, there is a big misconception, I think, about term five that I was a victim to. You're going to hear from everyone. They're going to try and tell you, don't look at lecture notes. Don't even worry about the lecture And 100%. Notes on the outside. I that agree is, completely. It's the biggest lie, you know, because yeah. I remember vividly having conversations with Ralph. And I'm telling him the same thing. Like, look, everyone's saying, don't use the notes. Don't use the notes. And he's out here. Everyone was saying that. Notes. Yeah. So the lecture notes are very important. And um, if I did not look in my own story, if I didn't look at lecture notes, right before um, the CPRH exam, our first cumulative exam, I would have done awful. You know, I, I really think that the lecture note should be a very high priority. And again, there's this sweet balance of how do I tackle this cumulative material from terms one and two? That's where your RX and your boards and beyond sketches, so on and so forth, come into play. But please, everyone, this is like me giving you gold nuggets of wisdom that I wish I had. Use those lecture yeah. notes. They are very yeah. important. Everyone, you know, I remember at the beginning, we were all really confused on how to study. And everyone kept telling me the lectures, you know, they're not going to help you. They're disorganized. You don't even listen to them. If you go to them, just do, you know, like other things in the meantime. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit because as all these guys know, I don't use really any outside resources. Like this term, I didn't even use the, uh, I didn't even use first aid. I've always only used lecture slides. So I was really worried, you know, going into the cumulative CPRH that I was going to have to completely switch up every single way that I knew how to study. And I remember um, at uh, the, the IA banquet we had, me, Alex, and another one of our friends, Fadi, were talking to Dr. Clunes pretty much about this, how we didn't know you know, if we should completely revamp our study strategies or how we should go about it. And the Mm -hmm. advice that she told us that I think gave me the confidence, you know, to develop the study plan or to continue with the study plan I had was, you know, you have to know yourself. You have to know what you're weak in. And you have to realize, you know, these are SGU tests. And if you've been doing well on SGU tests before, you probably don't need to completely change up all your study habits. You know, yeah, it's cumulative now, but I fully believe that the lectures hit 95% of what's on the exams. 
it's obviously not counting the you know cumulative stuff outside of other modules yeah but i literally only used the lecture slides no first aid you know no pathoma no sketchy nothing like that i think i actually used the lecture slides more term five than i did you know in past terms like i did multiple takes through every single lecture in prior terms i would go through them probably twice I think I actually started doing less questions in term five and more just revamping through the lecture slides because they want you to know these diseases at such a deep level where you can't memorize how every disease is going to, you know, dictate a certain lab value. And I feel like if you get caught going through first aid too much, maybe you could start getting into the memorization factor. All right. So I forget exactly where I was, but I really think that a big difference between term five and term four is term four, you can memorize your way through a lot of things. You know, you memorize histo buzzwords, you memorize a few, uh, you know, symptoms of how things present. But in term five, you have to apply these diseases to, you know, a very deep level to a clinical level where you can't just memorize it. You know, there's too many different lab values that they could ask you about in a question for you to memorize all of them. So you really have to have that understanding. And I think going through the lecture slides gave me that um, very well. And I think you can do that through outside resources. I know people succeed very well with uh, boards and beyond. I just think that that can take a lot of time. So if you guys want to do like what Alex said, I think that's a good idea of doing questions and then figuring out where you're weak and then doing the boards and beyond videos specifically for those areas. I think the only problem that you can have with that is that it can be difficult to find what you're weak in. I think that takes, you know, some self-reflection and I think you can easily get caught in, you know, watching videos that you don't need to watch or watching too many videos. Mm -hmm. You know, so I did notice is that like, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Luke with what you just said, like I did like catch myself, like being like, Oh, like I need to watch this 26 minute video, but all I really needed was this little bit of information. So what I started to do to like, kind of like prevent that from happening is like, I would like make a list of like things that I would, that I would need to look at. So say for example, I needed to look at like Wigger's diagrams. I had to look at like ejection fractions, all the random things like on boards and beyonds. And then I would like bold the stuff that I like really, really sucked at. And then I would like kind of put the other things that weren't like that big of a deal to me. Like I could brush up on it, but at the same time, I didn't need to. I'd put those like lower on my list of like things of of, of things that I need to watch basically. But yeah. yes, that, that is a big pitfall that you just mentioned. And that's a very good point. Yeah. So, I mean, it requires a lot of strategy once you get into the cumulative point. You know, I said yeah. it before, you have to be able to realize, you know, what what you do know versus what you don't know. One big thing I'm going to mention here. I'm sure the vast majority of people will disagree with me, but you know, if I was going to list my number one outside resource, Wikipedia, you know, it's kind of <laughs> funny. I tell people this all the time and a lot of people think I'm kidding, but it is just so quick and easy to go on Wikipedia. You know, they have the mechanisms, they have, you know, the etiology of all these diseases. They have the hyperlinks. You can click, you know, any related diseases. It's quick. It's easy. You know, it, it's not going to give you a full understanding of a disease, 
But if you just need, you know, a quick little piece of information related to something, or you're just trying to tie something up together quickly without having to go back, you know, through lecture slides from, you know, two terms ago or open up a boards and beyond video, I think it can be more efficient that way. Like I, I've used Wikipedia since term one. You know, I, I would love to go back to <laughs> and tell them that I succeeded in med school through Wikipedia. <laughs> Dude, I love I love that you mentioned that though because like we're we're, we're talking about systems and uh, like how, like I guess what you should use to prepare for it and it's it it, it is for sure a hundred percent paradoxical because of course like I know like my good buddy he uh, doesn't use lecture material at all but this guy smacks the exams out of the water he scores like 90s and above and all he uses is like first aid and like bnb and stuff um and then of course there's students like you who like only use lecture material and of course do very very well um so you know everybody finds their their niche but i remember <laughs> I remember we were at container park um and we were having a drink together and i was asking you like how term five was going and luke you literally just looked me in the face and go kevin don't use anything but the lecture material and Wikipedia. And then, like this one girl, this one girl that was standing next to us looks over and she goes, excuse me, what? I scored a 98 on my exam and all I did was use X, Y, and Z and all these external resources. And you're like, I got the same score. And all I did was use lecture material and Wikipedia. And I'm like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I continued for another 20 minutes, sir, that back and forth. It got into Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, but so, okay. So like now my question is, and Carl, I guess you can help us out with this one is, uh, um, all right. So it is, it is a tad overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. Like, okay. So you're starting, what's, what's the first one? CPRH. Yeah. Right. yeah. It, 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 right. We really just throw you into the wolves with that. I mm -hmm. think we probably have the three hardest systems, cardio, renal and respiratory. And then he isn't any easy either. You know, that, that wasn't that was like three days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they throw you into the wolves with that right away. You know, so, you Carl, how did you how did you like manage your, your schedule? Like, how do you like if I if, if CPRH starts for me tomorrow, like, well, what am I doing here? You know, how am I getting organized? So the way that they have it set up is they'll do cardio, like four days of cardio. And then the next block is pulmonary. So those days in lecture, that's all you're learning. So you're learning that. Then you switch to the next system, then the next. So you're not learning multiple systems at the same time. Um, and then for me, what I like doing is I know you were talking about earlier that you might do cardio a pulmonary Tuesday and then like that. What I enjoyed doing was setting up on Rx. Okay, there's they'll assign quizzes also. I wanted to make that note. They'll assign quizzes. So after the four days of cardio that you learn in lecture, they'll assign an Rx quiz for cardio. After pulmonary, they'll assign with pulmonary. They only are like 50 questions, 60 questions out of the 200 that you have on the bank in Rx. So what I would do is my, what I did was I will go through all the cardio questions during the cardio block, the pulmonary questions during the pulmonary block, and then so forth like that. That's how I did it. Um, and I found that that really helped. And then through the, I know Alex and I were talking earlier, like, the time that we had from the gym to lecture, we had a couple hours before we really got to studying that night after lecture. And so in those couple hours, I was like, okay, I can bang out some practice questions right now. And then after lecture, come back and really take the time to review each right or wrong answer. 
Um, so earlier in the day, did the practice questions on RX, and then after lecture, came back and just root everything. And that would be a typical day, I guess, for me. And I found so that it that is really organized. Yeah, yeah, so it is organized yeah. then. So I, I thought we were yeah. like getting thrown out into the wolves where it was like, okay, CPRH, uh, we're going to do like, you know, cardio Monday, renal Tuesday or whatever. Like, no, so you go through each system on its own, but four days blocks, to go through yeah. cardio. So I'm assuming the lectures are more like, all right, so here's everything you need to know about PATH. Here's everything you need to know about Fizz. Like, mm -hmm. like the volume, I guess, just gets a, a lot. Like now, now the whole cliche of, medical school is like drinking out of a fire hydrant i guess this is where you really feel it yeah but luckily it is all things that we should like already know it's kind of just a review so they don't go too too in depth in terms of like oh like this is exactly how every single pathogenesis is they'll like talk about it and then they'll talk about maybe lab values or like if we're going over ekgs that day then they'll talk about like how the ekgs would present and stuff like that and but what i did really notice about the lecture notes is that they had like buzzwords in it and like i know that we like say like oh you know you don't use buzzwords like don't rely on buzzwords but like they they had literal buzzwords in the lecture notes like and they would be on the imcq questions be word for word the answer choice and sometimes it'd be even the same way on the exam so i was like yeah this is definitely important to like at least touch up on once you know yeah i think it's very important to remember that these are SGU exams. And yeah, you know, term five, you're simultaneously trying to prepare for step as well. But when you're in term five, you're still obviously, you know, taking SGU exams. So you need to, to do well in SGU exams, you should learn the material the way that SGU wants you to. And I don't and think that would... you should try to sacrifice too much away from like also, you know, doing rx and new world questions and that type of thing but you know they make their slides a certain way because that's the material that they want you to know they they want you to organize it in your head the way that they present it to you because that's how they're going to ask you the exam questions on it did we have the midterm in cprh or was that in goer right after uh, that was like right before uh like first week where we had the yeah yeah all yeah. I thought it was in the middle of CP. I don't know. No, nah, no. Yeah, Quinn's right. Okay, it was like right. after it was after the GI of Goer. Oh, okay. Every time I hear you guys say Goer or <clears throat> I heard anybody say Goer, I always thought about gushers. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really now I'm really exposing my age, but gushers. I'm like Goer. What's Same what are you thing. guys even doing in Goer? Wait, Same are gushers thing, not yeah. a thing anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I love gushers. Those are great. Gushers are for everyone, old, young, anything. Yeah, but the young don't know about gushers, man. <laughs> uh, I like when all right, they all so, come together and you just ate them all at one time. Oh, That's, dude, for sure. Oh, yeah. Those are like the best snack. Right in between football practice, dude. I just, before I knew anything about nutrition when I was like eight years old and obese, <laughs> I would just have like three packets of gushers and a Coca-Cola in the middle of practice. Oh, my God, bro. <laughs> the most sounds great. sugar rush. Just get all the sugar in you. Uh, <laughs> So, all right. So I want, I want to talk about the hospital visits because that's one thing I guess that a lot of us are looking forward to as well. Uh, like, so they, like right off the bat, they didn't even wait. They were just like, okay, you're done with term four. Here's an email of your pamphlet or your welcoming pamphlet going into the hospital settings. And this is the part that I think like I'm really looking forward to. And I think a lot of us are looking forward to it, at least because like um, we, we spoke about this in a few other podcasts where, I mean, a few other episodes where, the one thing that SGU has as an advantage among other students, of course, coming as an IMG into the States and your clinicals is that we're just savages in the clinical floors. 
um, when I worked at St. Joe's in the in their ER, I spoke about this before, is like how SGU was just really efficient at gathering information, summarizing the information. And this is not me being biased because I'm a student at SGU. This is me being realistic of what expectations I, I need to meet coming into clinical rotations. So when I go into the hospital floors, I want to reflect the SGU students that I've seen in the past who were just really good at what they were doing. And these were students that now became residents at the ER and being able to witness that transition of being a medical student, presenting a case to an attending, and then a week later becoming a resident at that hospital to me was just, it resonated in me. And now I know realistically that these are the expectations SGU expects from us as a student. So being able to practice information gathering, uh, diagnosis, forming, differentials, whatever, the whole jazz, uh, and then being able to practice that in beeline and then go into a hospital setting and be able to do it in real time with an actual patient, I think is what gives SGU students the advantage that a lot of students talk about that know us at least so that you guys get that experience in the hospital. You move on into the clinical rotations. You already kind of know how to interact with an actual patient and it's not so scripted. It's not so, so uh, I guess forced when the SP is not helping you or the SP is being too difficult with you. Um, it, it, it gives you more experience of what the, what you're going to expect in clinical rotations. So in the hospital, when you guys go in term five, you know, what was that experience for you guys? I mean, like, do you go every day? Do you go once a day? I mean, you go once a week. And when you're there, what was, you know, what was that whole experience like? So the hospitals were once a week. And I felt very strongly about the hospital um, experience here. And I was actually talking to a friend the other day, and she had witnessed a childbirth in the hospital. So yeah. it was a very real experience, you know, to go from clinical practice in a beeline room and then enter the general hospital here in St. George's. And I think a lot of us who have a strong attachment to the community here, uh, it just becomes even more real. You know, a lot of us have been here on this island for a year and a half plus. Um, so you feel like the people that you see passing the street, like those are your, your friends and family too that you would see back home. And for me, uh, and this is the conversation that me and my one friend had, you step into that hospital and it's no secret that the resources and the environment is a culture shock to what you're used to back home and it just makes you want to help and it really makes that passion and that fire for becoming efficient uh physician burn so much brighter um and that's my biggest takeaway you know you go in um you see these people and there's so much love and care and respect and you really want to do everything you can as a medical student to still provide them with uh the best best quality of care that you can and it's unfortunate that some of the resources that you want to use or you expect to use aren't there. And it just makes you want to go back and help more. So it's a very uplifting experience. It's a very real experience. Um, I wasn't able to experience or witness childbirth, but still interacting with patients with real pathology um, is a privilege that, uh, especially here in Grenada, is, is very memorable. So I felt very strongly about the hospital experience here. Yeah. Piggybacking off of what Quinn was saying too, like, the those physical exams that you do like in beeline and you just pretend to hear like s1sds4 like all those like regurgitations and stuff like that you will definitely come across at least one of those like in these hospitals and it's crazy but like you know the, the patients like they're like eager to like help you learn and they're like you know volunteering their like own like health to like be like here like let practice on me basically even though they're sick and you know they you hear like 
the sounds that you know no one can fake like these aren't standardized patients anymore like you can't fake the the vitals that you you get from them like you're realizing like whoa this is an actual sick human being right in front of me and like to me that was like one of the most like jaw-dropping eye-opening like experiences and i was like wow like i'm so grateful to like have this opportunity you know yeah i completely agree with that overall i thought the uh the hospital visits were well worth it i think by the end some people started to get maybe a little tired of them i don't know if tired of them is the right word but just felt like they could be using their time a little more efficiently mm-hmm. but I thought that um, I took a lot away from it. Going off what Alex was saying, it was really cool to actually see these physical exam findings that we've been learning about for so long. Like specifically, I remember um, auscultating a patient who had um, some kind of murmurs, and it was while we were doing the cardio module for CPRH. So it really helped me, you know, put everything together oh you know you listen for this murmur here this one here and this is why this is a systolic this is a diastolic you know after you actually hear these or after you actually experience these pathological physical exam findings i think it sticks in your head a lot more and it makes you actually understand what's going on and that's one big thing that you're going to learn during the hospital visits is you might think you know how to do a physical exam, but I don't think anyone actually knows how to do a physical <laughs> exam until you find real patients and you actually figure out why you're doing certain things. You know, if you know what the uh, the pathology would actually look like. Like for example, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Carl. No, no, no. I was just gonna talk. Go ahead. Say what I was just gonna say, say like. Um, like, you know, basically like what Luke was saying, like, you don't understand why you're doing these things, but then like now that we've like learned in turn five and stuff like that um, for the physical exams. But basically one thing that I realized is like, you know, like when you're doing like the aortic regurgitation, like why do you ask them to hold their breath? Like why do you ask them to exhale all the way and then hold their breath? Like, yeah. dude, like that, it all makes sense now, you know, it like makes the murmur louder if it's present, you know, all these like weird positions that we make them like sit yeah. at, like it all makes sense. And I was like, wow, this is so sick. You know, yeah, random thing for, uh, for CPRH Valsava maneuver. It just seems like a stupid thing, but for cardio, there were a lot of weird physical examination techniques that they would include in vignettes. Make sure you take note of all those mm-hmm. random, but yeah, back onto a uh, clinical. So I guess um, the hospital the hospital setting was really something to like look forward to, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. for motivation too, you know. Like if you're getting tired, at least like I, I fell victim of the culture of man, I don't want to go to small group. I really want to get these two hours to just study because I really just want to get locked in. Um, but I was I ended up being one of the students that like missed a couple of small groups early on. So I had to go to all of them. But for the hospital setting, like I guess for me it would just be more so like all right. Yeah, I am tired. I'm getting a little burnt out from studying all the time. I do have to go to the hospital this week, but then going to the hospital and seeing patients and being able to practice everything you've been learning in real time. And like, this is it. This is, this is literally what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And that in itself should give you more than enough reassurance that you're exactly where you need to be. And when you walk out of that hospital, you go back to studying with a different mentality. Like, all right, I love what I'm doing. I love what I signed up for. 
let me keep studying because I want to be good at it. Yeah, yeah I, I think you should enjoy the hospital a little bit. You know, if if you're hating going to the hospital every week, then I, I wish you luck, you know, when you have to go to the hospital every <laughs> single day for 10, 12 hours a day for the next 30 to 40 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, get point. something out of it. You're interacting with real patients. One thing that annoyed me once we started doing hospitals was then going back to beelines where there were fake patients. You know, I, I really just stopped caring about the well, Don't forget the BSFCR small groups. Oh, yeah. It's not even a fake patient. It's a, it's a fake pop- yet. Yeah. Yeah. But I, at least you didn't have to pretend for those, you know, be like, <laughs> I just felt so weird, you know, interacting with a real patient and, you know, giving real genuine empathy when someone, you know, tells you that they had a cancer diagnosis a week ago, and then you go into beeline and, you know, someone's faking a heart attack and it's, I don't know, it, it it's weird. No, that's a really good point. I, and I agree. Yeah, it actually like kind of like took the nerves out of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you really realize that um, you know, there's not as much pressure when you're taking HPI, you know, in beeline or even in an OSCE as you initially think there is. You know, because once you're taking a real HPI on a real patient and there's actually, you know, a real goal of trying to help the patient. You know, it just makes the uh, the mock situation seem so minuscule. Yeah. Um, real quick, because Ralph mentioned the one word that sends chills down everybody's spine come term five, BSFCR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what are we doing here? I guess they changed the, the they did change the pattern of it now. Like yeah. I've always heard, I like before term four, I always heard that the BSFCR you needed to pass it to sit for step. And now I'm hearing that, you know, I'm hearing mixed reviews from a lot of different students. I heard from a couple of students that BSFCR is now pass fail. You need to just attend the lectures or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Like no. what, what are we, what are we doing here with BSFCR? What really is it in a nutshell? It's definitely pass fail still, but, um, yeah. We have two exams and then like small groups that all aid towards like the total points of like what, like 320 or something like that. And you have to get like above a 72% of that entire grade, you know? So like the each small group counts as a point. Each test that we have is like the first one is a midterm, which is worth 65 points. And then the second one is worth 225 points. And if you get 72% of all of those, all the points that you're supposed to accumulate, then you pass basically. And then you could take the step one. And it helps okay, that so each, the, each one had like a 30% curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the big I mean, yeah. yeah, that was nice. Yeah. That's the one thing that I, like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind well. around. Yeah, I couldn't wrap my mind around that because I like people were saying, oh, yeah, turn five, BSFCR, it's so hard. If you fail, you can't sit for step. And then I walk around and I hear people like, oh, yeah, I, we just took the midterm for BSFCR. I got a, I got a 101. I'm like, there's no way you got a 101. They're like, no, I got a hundred. I'm like, how'd you get a hundred on the midterm? Like, oh, there was like a 30% curve on it. I'm like, okay, so yeah, realistically cool. speaking, passing BSFCR is attainable if you're studying, of course. Yeah. The way the way people learn, the way people study, it's very subjective. You know, I'm not gonna say that because it's easy, it's gonna be easy for everybody. Of course, there are those students who have to put in a little bit more work to even get like, you know, a passing grade and stuff. So I I know it's very subjective, but the BSFCR is something that I guess is an it's an added component or at least an added stress to term five, because, you know, at least all of us are going to be concerned now, like, oh, I put in all this work, I studied so hard, 
I've been an honor student since term one and one exam is going to keep me from taking step. What, what more do I have to prove to you? You know, there's a good contrast between this and the BSS, BSCE that you take in term two, because in that exam, you know, you go through content, but you're expected to constantly revise up until that exam. So you can be prepared for the cumulative. But when you take the BSFCR, I, in my opinion, the term five material was a great runway into BSFCR because mm-hmm. it's all about craft. So all you're doing all the way up into that exam is technically studying for that exam. And I think it lessens the load. And uh, from my experience on the exam, I think you'll be surprised with how much you'll know just based off studying your term five material. Don't get me wrong. You should still do terms one through four. But by just doing term five, you're in a fair position where you can you can do well. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Then I would assume it becomes more, more. Um, so like the one thing that I love about QBanks, like RX, I mean, it's the only one I've been using so far, but the one thing I love about them is that they make it very efficient to study it. So I'm definitely not going to sit there and I can, I, I'm saying this right now. I am not going to go back to term one lectures and learn about, you know, the pedigree again, or let I me, mean, sorry, the, the Punnett square or whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back. back. To do that. It comes back. I'm sure it comes back. I'm sure it comes back. <laughs> but if it, but here's the thing, like the, the, the efficiency of how it comes back. You know, like, I think that that is something that's that's very valuable where like I can do a QBank where I'll do a question where the question is asking me about a specific pathology, but they're mentioning a Punnett square or they're mentioning an anatomy or phys or biochemistry. So a really good question is a question that you can answer correctly, but you can also learn like five or six other things just from that one question. You know, so for the B, for the BSFCR, like if, if it is cumulative, is it cumulative in the sense where like they're taking all these disciplines throughout medical school that we've walked through already. Um, and are they putting it all together into a single question? Or am I going to walk into the BSFCR, answer a pathology question, and then literally get a vignette that goes, oh, patient is reaching over their shoulder, uh, which muscle are they using? Term five style, if that answers your question. Well, I mean, like there's histo stuff too. That was like, they yeah. had like first order questions. There's like yeah, a there were so many. I don't it's, think they're really all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I, I would have been like, it, but there's definitely some. I mean, it, yeah. it's crazy hard. You know, I, I think the average was like a, a 50, maybe even a little less than that. I'm not sure. I don't know. But I, I felt like it was, you know, the concepts that they tested from like term one and term two, you know, they kind of made the vignettes term five style. A little bit, you know, like even if they were testing a Punnett square or something, you know, a an incidence or something like that, you had to first figure out what disease it was, which was not easy a lot of the time. And then mm. see if it was recessive dominant. Yeah, like yeah. You, you had to apply it a few steps. You know, it wasn't like a term one, you know, when it was Marfan, so it would you know, they would say tall, skinny, you know, just had an aneurysm, you know, they're being very, you know, they're, they're, they're making it difficult. They're purposely blending in multiple diseases together. They're forcing you to really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I've noticed that they started doing now in term four. And yeah, like, I, look, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be extremely honest. And this is why we created this podcast so that we can be transparent and give realistic, authentic information out. But like, I'm going to say this, like in term four during our MCQs, a lot of us, and 
you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for like just the class in general. Like there was a lot of students who were being really hard on the professors on the way that they would write MCQ questions. And I, the reason why I remember that's because it's, it's, for what you just said, um, and I think it's something really important that we as term five students moving on to term five should know and be aware of is that like step one, or maybe even in term five, like you're, we're going to get those vignettes where we don't know exactly what's going on. It's read the question. What are they asking? So in term four, we had a few MCQs where the professor mentioned a vignette, very vague, extremely vague. I, I'm reading it. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here. But I did notice that the patients, um, I think I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but like I did notice that in the vignette, the blood pressure was extremely, extremely low. And nobody, I guess, picked up on it. They were all just too fixated on what was going on in the vignette. And then it was literally like which drug would be contraindicated. And of all the drugs that were listed, they were all mixed and matched. There, were, like, it, there was a beta blocker. There was a muscarinic antagonist. There was a calcium channel blocker. There's a bunch of different drugs. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but the blood pressure is extremely low. I don't know. I guess the propanolol would be contraindicated. I'm not sure. And like, that might not be the specifics of the question, but that was the correct question. I mean, that was the correct answer for that question. So like people got fixated on like trying to get the professor to spoon feed them what was going on in that vignette. But I did notice doing board questions that sometimes you read a board question and there'll be like two or three, maybe, maybe just two diseases being presented at you. And you're just like, what's going on here? Like there's this Marfan syndrome or is this something else? And they're being very vague about it where they're not telling you flat out to your face. Like this is Marfan syndrome. They're giving you the symptomology of two diseases. So now you're getting mm-hmm. a clinical vignette with, yeah. with two diseases that are technically your differentials. Now you look at the lab values, everything looks normal, but that one lab value that is hinting, hinting you towards the direction of the one disease in the vignette. And then they're asking you a question about that disease. So in all actuality, what they're doing is, and I appreciate that they did this in term four is that they're teaching us how to think in terms of differentials. Now, of course, it's not realistic of how we mm-hmm. should be tested. But That's when you look at it, you get yeah, when you look at a vignette like that, you you walk out, like I walked out of there now, like okay, if I'm gonna see a patient and I have three differentials, there's that one lab value that's keening me onto that one differential. So now I can move that as my number one. You know, mm-hmm. now I can diagnose better. So like when you when you read a vignette like that, like I almost want like during that MCQ session, I almost want to raise my hand and be like, I don't know why you guys are attacking the professor. He's doing a great job giving you a vignette of what we're going to expect potentially in term five, and for sure, for sure on step one yeah kevin you couldn't have said it better bro that is exactly what they're trying to do and that's what makes it hard you know you're like i'm stuck between three good answer choices right now how do i pick the best one and it's usually just like one little word that they say one little lab value that they find and like yeah no you hit the nail right on the head with that yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that was, I was really adamant about that one. I'm sorry, but like, I've had a good experience in term four and you know, I'm moving into term five, ready to go. So I appreciate that you guys came on and we, we spoke. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm ready to go, man. <laughs> so I appreciate that you guys came on and helped out a lot with talking about everything. We covered M and I, we covered, uh, the hospital settings, we covered BSFCR. Um, I have no more questions for you guys. Uh, I appreciate the in-depth discussion about it. Quinn, do you have any questions? Yeah. Yeah, I have one question kind of just to close this out. And I think it's very fitting for the end of uh, term five. So the fall 2022 term was very special where we finally merged our online and in-person experience. And for a lot of us, you know, who might have been on Grenada for the first time, I'm curious what your relationship was with being on a full 
campus for the first time? What's your experience being in Grenada for the short time? And then for some of us who've been here for a while, what's it like leaving Grenada? Um, you know, term five is your kind of swan song here at SGU Basic Sciences. So uh, I want to know what you guys are, your feelings are right now, being done and ready to move on to your soon-to-be home state. And I'm very curious. I'm very happy we have Carl here because this is your first term in Grenada. So I want to see how you feel about it too. So yeah, that's my last question for you guys. Um, I'll actually start it off because I'm, I'm already on mic, but uh, I love Grenada. I mean, it's no secret. I've been here two years. Um, for the guys who know me, the guys who don't know me, um, Grenada is like a second home now. Being that it's my culture and my heritage, I leave here thinking, wow, like the person I'm going to become past this is going to be very different. It's going to be very unique. So I have to be grateful for this island and I have to, you know, I don't want to force any feelings, but I have to feel emotional, right? Like, because if I didn't, then I didn't really do it right. And to have that kind of sense of finality with basic sciences and SGU and being here in Grenada, um, very grateful. It's a very beautiful feeling. And term five being the, you know, the representative cumulative or, or, or the, the finality, the totality of your experience here is, is a perfect marriage of that. So academically, socially, all around the board, term five has been the, the proper goodbye, a proper send off, and I think a proper segue into what's to come. And that's exciting too. So, uh, what do you guys think about this being the end uh, or the end of the beginning? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I feel I share a lot of the same emotions as you. Obviously, I wasn't there the entire two years like how you were. So, kudos to you for doing that. Um, but, you know, the year and a half that I spent there was nothing short of amazing. It was by far some of the best fun I've had in my entire life. Not only were we like grinding and just like working towards our goal, but we were also surrounded by a bunch of like-minded people. And like, that's going to be really hard to come by again. You know, like everyone's just like grinding, working hard. Like everyone's on the same like schedule, same routine. And you just like make a ton of friends. Um, you guys go and do like awesome adventures with each other when you have the free time to do it. Like all that stuff was so fun for me. And like, I had such a great experience on that island and I'm like so grateful for the Grenadian community for like accepting us like students and like just sharing their like resources, sharing their like knowledge and wealth and like ha- being like so like, you know, nice to us, you know, like when they didn't have to be. Um, and, you know, that it just made the experience a million times better. So, yes, shout out to the Grenadians. Love you guys so much. <laughs> I, I agree with that. It was going there for the first time and not knowing what to expect it was very welcoming as a community in an island and i mean just anybody that you saw ran into um you know any of the locals any of the students alike um was just so friendly and so just um willing to go you know beyond to make you feel welcome um which was nice because i'm a very outgoing person so just walking around telling people hi and having me full-on conversations uh, i really enjoyed it i got to meet a lot of great people out there um and yeah i'm i'm really gonna miss i'm really gonna miss grenada now i'm thinking you know with the connections that i made just in one semester and leaving now i can't imagine how hard it would have been being there for two years and then separating. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a great time and I'm really grateful for everything that this semester has given me. You guys are making me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I got one more term and then mm-hmm. I am out of Grenada and 
I don't know. It's I, I can't speak much about it yet because I still got a whole other term to come up. But you guys have given me a lot of inspiration. And I'm really happy to have met all of you. Alex playing football with you every week. You know, it's pretty dope. Quinn, you know, our relationship. Um, it's nice. To, it's nice to have met all you guys. And I, I wish you all like the best of luck with step and moving into clinicals. You know, I'm jealous, but I'm also really proud to have met you guys. And I'm for sure, for sure going to reach out to all of you when I'm having my mental breakdowns on what I need to do in clinical <laughs> settings. <stuff. laughs> I'll be waiting for the text, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yo, bro, how do I use Wikipedia for stuff, bro. man? <laughs> bro, what about, what about our DC conversations, man? Oh, uh, dude, yeah, you already know it, man. I'm oh, it's, right it's a mess right now. I'm so depressed. Yeah. They got I, rid of- I, 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 uh, they, yeah, they I heard they got rid of Henry Cavell. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's done. That's it. Submit your uh, photo, Photoshop, bro. Do 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 a headshot. Send it into the. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, you play the next Superman. Superman. Yeah. Get a pump first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, look, I guess we'll do another one pretty soon. But uh, this one was a special one for all of us. So thank you for listening and. You know, enjoy the rest of your break. If you're in term four, I'll look forward to seeing you in term five and stay safe, stay, he- stay healthy and uh, enjoy your holidays, everybody. Thanks for coming on, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and thank you guys for hosting. Quinn and yeah, Kevin, thank you for having us. appreciate it. It was good to kind of reminisce a little bit about the, yeah. uh, the good and mm-hmm. not so good times. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I, I enjoyed term five. You know, it, it was to go too. back through the material yeah. again, you know, one final look through, apply it. See, it was cool to see how much you remembered. I think most people would honestly say that they remembered more than they thought that they would. Well, yeah, agreed. Taking that and applying it. I mean, term five is it's a lot. And especially for you guys that are going to be taking in the spring, you're going to have step right around the corner. So you're, it's probably, honestly, it's probably going to be even worse for you guys than it was for us. And you're going to most likely have to divvy up some extra time for step studying, but you guys will be all right. You know, it's, it's grenade at the end of the day. If you need a break, go look at the sunset, go find a nice beach, hang out for an hour. Go to the cliff. Go to the cliff. Yeah, we'll jump off the cliff. This looks nice. For sure. All right, guys. I'm logging yeah. off. Let's close it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.